listen to the customer and not necessarily the buyer. So there's like, sometimes the customer isn't the buyer. The buyer is like maybe the manager of the company. The customer, the user is the one who's actually going to tell you what the problem you're trying to solve for. Welcome to the Sask Entrepreneurs Podcast. Each week, we bring you an interview featuring an entrepreneur or business leader in the Saskatchewan province. We dive into their journey, lessons learned, and views on the outlook of the Saskatchewan business market. This episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At TwoWeb, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at TwoWeb.ca. Welcome to today's episode of Sask Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have Kyle Smith, who is the co-founder and CTO of Offstreet. Offstreet provides a hands-off solution that enables parking operators to convert to a fully digital and deckless environment. Sounds exciting. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Excellent. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how did you end up in this role? Yeah, for sure. So I studied software engineering at the University of Regina. And from there, I went on to a company based at Regina, headquartered in Vancouver called IQ Metrics. I was there, I was building point of sale software from a retail Windows application to an Android application, and then eventually to an iOS application for um, the iPad. And then um, probably in my fourth year in, I was approached by a guy named Matt Fallman, who's now my co-founder. And he came up to me with this idea of creating a parking app that was like the Airbnb for parking. Now, as a technical co-founder, you get these type of people coming to you all the time. Hey, I've got an idea for an app. You should build it and then we'll make money. That's kind of kind of usually how the pitch goes. And so you do want to help them out and help them along. Like actually building you know, software is hard, but building a company around software is even harder. But Matt came to me with an actual plan. Like he had been researching how to do this. He'd have been reading and watching all of the blogs and videos coming out of a group called Y Combinator, which was, is still at the time, or was at the time and still is the number one startup accelerator in the world. And so he kind of knew what he was talking about. And so that was a signal to me that said, okay, this guy is actually serious about doing this. And he's got a plan. Like, why not? Let's just try it out and see what happens. And so we launched a app that allowed you to rent someone's driveway around the Regina General Hospital in downtown Regina. We had about 12 driveways on the platform, and we were renting those out daily to nurses, hospital staff, like you name it. And it was going pretty well. Tried to come up to Saskatoon and launch it here. Found out it was actually illegal because of the zoning bylaws. It didn't allow for like you to run a commercial venture out of your home or something like that. So we were on like John Gormley, and you know, he was a fan of the business side. He wasn't a fan of City Hall, and it was kind of fun. But we also kind of realized at the time the unit economics of the Airbnb model didn't make sense. Now for an Airbnb, you're looking at like 30 to $100 a night. And as Airbnb, the company, they can take 10, 20% of that. So per night, they're making, you know, 20, 30 bucks. A parking spot is $10 a day. And then 10% of that is a dollar. So we're making $12 of profit a day. And it's like, and so they, you need a lot of parking spaces to make that one work. And so at this, at the time, we were in the newspaper, Leader Post, which is the, the newspaper in Regina. A former high school friend reached out who knew a guy 
that was from Edmonton that also had another parking startup. And they had a, a component of parking that was on the enforcement side. So like ticketing validation, that kind of thing, where we had the driver focused one of like the actual registration of the vehicle. And so they're like, hey, we should work together. You should kind of change your app to do these sorts of things and we can deploy them at all of our locations. And so that was the signal to us like, okay, this is a real problem. It's not exactly what we we're doing before, but we can change this offer from this kind of consumer model to more of a enterprise model to deal with bigger parking facilities. And it was enough of a signal for us to be like, hey, we're going to quit our jobs. Let's try it out. And it's been four years, four and a half years of that. So, you know, it's interesting you mentioned about the profitability factor. And you'd be surprised many companies don't even realize that they're profitable until they're too late in the game. So good for you that you understood the profitability factor and you actually pivoted as a result of that, right? So you change your business model, which takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of, I guess, uh, reflecting to be able to make sure that, okay, to first of all, recognize that you were not on the path to success and you were wrong, maybe going in that direction, but then pivoting and changing so that you can actually adopt a more successful model. So how has it been going since that pivot and since your targeting, uh, your target audience has changed? So it's been going really well, but kind of just on that note there about pivoting and then recognizing that. It also helped that Matt and I are not parking industry veterans in a way. So like that was a weakness early on for other reasons, but it was that we weren't married and in love with what the idea, right? We we're like, hey, we could solve a problem and we might be able to build a software company because we're like, we want to build a software company. It doesn't really matter what it is. So that gave us a lot of flexibility to be like, let's try something else. Whereas I think some people feel like, hey, I'm building an app for this sort of solution. I know this problem very well. And then like pivoting away from what you know was probably a lot harder, but it's been going fairly well now. We had um, a brief hiccup, I would say, during the early days of the pandemic. So Matt and I were kind of grinding and bootstrapping this for the first year and a half or so, up to two years. And we had decided that we didn't want to take on outside investment until we were sure that we were on the path to what's called product market fit, that our product had a role in the market that people were willing to pay for and we could scale it up to a legitimate business. And so when we decided to raise money, it was when we knew we had really, we, okay, we, we have a vision for this thing. We know it could be something. We have now the confidence to be like, okay, we'll allow other people to put their capital and trust in us. And we will hopefully deliver on that promise. So we had raised late 2019, raised a few hundred thousand dollars, hired some people, pandemic hits in March, world shuts down. Every other software company around us is laying off half their staff because they, you know, everyone was saying, get a year of cash flow. Others were saying, get 30 months of cash flow, which was the right call. But we were, had a pretty lean team and we were like, okay, we just raised money. We're okay for at least a pretty decent amount of time. And right around this time, we were working on a deal, a big enterprise deal with the Fraser Health region in British Columbia. So in BC, the health, there's about four health regions that all split up. Fraser Health is all of the hospitals and clinics in the greater Vancouver area. We're working on this pretty big enterprise deal. It would add a lot of revenue for us. And then pandemic hits and they're like, this is no longer a priority. Maybe when this all blows over, we'll revisit this. And we're just like, oh no. There's like, okay, that now we might be in trouble. And we had customers calling us, can we pause the subscription? No one's parking in our lots. If things kind of were looked pretty bleak and we, we weren't sure what to do, but we're like, listen, we have cash. We can use this time to rebuild, not rebuild the product, but like iterate on it, 
add new features, add new things that we've been putting off, change things up. And luckily enough, two or three months later, we get a call back from the Fraser Health region. So doing the whole free parking thing wasn't a good idea. This is chaos. How quick can we move on this thing? And we're like, we can go tomorrow. Like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> and kind of since then, we've been we're working with bigger and bigger customers. So we're deployed at almost every parking operator across the country in Canada. Primarily, we work in British Columbia and Alberta. That's where a lot of our, our, our customers are. And Vancouver, for whatever reason, is the parking hub of Canada. And we moved Matt, my co-founder, out there to be closer to our customers. It's gone really well. And yeah, so now we're kind of just in the growth stage. Of we've got what we think of as product market fit. And we're just trying to get more customers and iterate on the product and continue to be a market leader in the parking validation space. That's really interesting. I mean, uh, finding the right customer and then really focusing on that. And I always say that, you know, opportunity comes to those that are prepared. So, you know, you were prepared with all the bells and whistles that, uh, that your client needed at the time and you were able to fulfill that service. So that's really interesting. And obviously with that uh, step, you grew in that vertical space. Is that, uh, is that the approach that you take or took? Or what are the different kinds of customers that you serve? So we serve, typically our user of the product is someone who manages a parking facility. So it could be a 10 vehicle lot outside of a, you know, a strip mall with like, you know, an RBC, a booster juice, a doctor's office to large hotel parkades and parking garages or, or surface lots and to health regions. Now we've really kind of dialed in on the institutional market because the thing about a surface lot that might be serviced by a parking company like Impark is the parking problems that they have are much different than what you could say at institutional. So like, for example, like at that strip mall example, the rules are fairly basic. It's like two hours, two to three hours, you know, free parking. And then after that, it's paid. Whereas at like a hospital, there's like seven different zones. You've got contractor parking. You've got long-term patient parking, short-term variable staff parking is because they're shift workers. So there's permits that are valid between Tuesdays from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but also Thursdays and things like that. So the type of customer has evolved over time. But now that we have a certification called SOC 2 Type 2, which is Security Operations and Controls, it's basically a tech company certification that says we have everything in place if anything goes wrong in terms of security or operations. If things go down, we have steps to take. If we get hacked or ransomed, we have recovery mechanisms. And having this certification basically gives these institutions the trust of like, okay, you're a five-person startup. You have invested in the controls that we need to see for privacy and security. That has helped us get these more institutional clients. And the, obviously, as a startup, the institutional clients are very sticky. So the likelihood of the, the health regions to be like, tomorrow, we're going to try a different parking product is very much more unlikely than a strip mall being changing parking operators from, because a new property matchers come in. And they're like, yeah, this small line item, can be, we'll get rid of it kind of thing. So like I would say, yeah, for our verticals, it's like retail and then institution are our big ones right now. As a lean startup with a small team and big ideas, what are maybe some of the big challenges that you're facing in growing the business? So initially, it was very hard to be taken seriously. So Matt and I went down to a couple of 
parking conferences in the US. Yes, they exist. So we always forget the parking industry is a multi-billion dollar industry because it's something that you and I, like as a driver, you're like, it's just parking, right? But it's like the amount of revenue that goes through these lots in even like small cities like Regina and Saskatoon is hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And so like multiply that across all of North America, it's quite large. You know, there's a few different parking conferences there, like massive, like Vegas, Chicago kind of thing. And so we went to these and it's, it was very hard to be taken seriously because parking is an old industry and it's, it's very, very much like an old boys club. And so they are used to seeing young, promising startups show up for what, Hey, we have a new app that does this. And they're like, all right, see you next time. And next time they're not there because they didn't make it. So getting taken seriously was really hard, but we just stuck it out. It was like people were interested, but they're like not willing to take a risk on their loss because parking industry is slow moving. And these operators are like, they don't want problems. So they want to set something up and forget about it and just watch the money come in. Like they don't want to be worrying about things that go down or customers having problems paying or parking. It's just like the best case scenario for them is like, they don't have to worry about anything. So that was really hard and really challenging, but we just stuck it out. Like it wasn't until about two and a half years of just like nothing. And so, well, a little bit, not nothing, but not much for them to be like, oh, off street, you're still here. It's like, you're here again. It's like, okay, now let's talk. And it's like, you just get that one person that takes a chance on you and he's like, and it goes well. And that person's like, hey, actually, I work with them. We worked with this uh, gentleman out of Edmonton who was actually a software developer and changed careers into the parking industry. And he was like, okay, you know, he's like, I like you guys. I like the software. Let's try it out. So we went live with about 15 of his lots. It worked really well. He told his colleagues about us and it was just like, boom, it just like spread all over the country. So that was the early challenge for sure. But these days, like, it's so easy to run a company remotely, especially like software, because we don't have building materials. We don't need everybody in the same space to like work on something. We can do it all digitally. We can just communicate online. I mean, obviously there's other growth challenges in terms of like every, every day is a challenge, but the big one for us in the beginning was just like, please, please take us seriously. Please take a chance on us. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, that's what makes an entrepreneur, that mindset of sticking with your idea and basically, you know, continuing that development, continuing to hustle and ultimately, you know, trying to close deals. I love the grit there. I mean, it's uh, definitely something that is not easily found. You've demonstrated that through your experience. It seems to be, you know, a, a good move that you've made. Obviously, this was when going to trade shows, right? You made that contact to trade shows. And during COVID, though, that's been a challenge, right? I mean, you can't go to trade shows. You can't go to networking events. And especially for the past couple of years, many businesses are facing this challenge of even connecting with their target audience in an effective way. And virtual trade shows, I mean, Again, they can be effective, but only up to some extent. So how do you tackle that? I mean, how do you tackle that relationship piece? Because it seems that you acquired that client by going through the trade show a few times and making yourself known. But now, you know, it's tough to do that. What are the marketing tactics that you're actually using to establish your brand? So I've got a few cool ones to tell you about. The, so, so you're right, because it's a very old school industry, you know, it's very, it's like dominated by men over the age of 40 or 50 kind of thing. So very face-to-face, -face, very like, yeah, I need to know you to do business with you kind of thing. And so you're right about the whole COVID thing. It kind of changed the dynamic, dynamic, the trade shows were canceled. But at the same time, now these people who just weren't used to using products like Zoom or Skype or anything like that, were pretty much forced to figure it out because they had to do it too. 
So you have these people that weren't typically used to doing these calls now figuring it out by necessity to do business. It just made doing things for us even easier because we didn't have to get in front of them. We could, they would be open to doing a call because they, they had to learn how to use Zoom just like everybody else in the world. So that was super helpful. Having Matt in Vancouver was also really convenient too. So these people in the parking industry, especially, I guess I could just say that our clients in Vancouver, they were at home doing nothing. And the chance to just get out of the house and go for coffee with Matt was like, a saving grace almost. So the amount of meetings that Matt took, it just like, hey, like, do you want to go get a, you know, a socially distanced coffee or let's go for a beer? And then it was just like, oh, thank you. Like, I haven't been out for a beer in so long. So like, that was also cool. It was like that we could just be this little outlet for them to like, just escape their isolation. Uh, was really cool. So it was like surprising how cool that one worked out doing like we changed the way that it was face-to-face. It was like a less formal face-to-face. And then the third thing we discovered was actually super surprising to us was how effective outbound marketing was. Anyway, so we were doing this cold calling. We were just like figuring out, figuring out through LinkedIn or through the phone book, looking for parking operators and calling them and pitching them. We didn't take a outbound marketing strategy seriously because we're like, hey, like our customers aren't on Instagram or TikTok or, or Facebook, but they are on LinkedIn. And once you get there, they do use email. And so we hired a marketing person as a student initially to do some marketing materials. And then we ended up hiring her full-time. And she kind of put together these campaigns because we we're like, well, we should try it and see what happens. And we were blown away how effective, like just announcing, hey, here's our new customer. The University of Manitoba is now using Offstreet. And we'd blast it out through LinkedIn and to like our entire lead list and our entire customer list. And then we had inbound from that being like, hey, like I also like we use Offstreet for one of our retail locations, but I also manage the parking at the University of the Fraser Valley. I didn't know you guys did universities also. Maybe we should talk about that. And we also got ones like, oh, like our competitors are using Offstreet. That one location that we just lost in that bid is now using Offstreet. Maybe we should use Offstreet. So it was very surprising, like, oh my gosh, like this industry that's like as old as you can get, these online marketing strategies are working. It was just like, what? (laughs) So yeah, so those three things were just so cool. It was like the the face-to-face during isolation, they figured out Zoom and doing this outbound email stuff and and LinkedIn stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) Good thing we tried it. That's really interesting. And uh, I think that, you know, when you start mapping out what your customer journey looks like and how they actually end up becoming a customer, you can make some very effective strategic decisions and reach the customer where they are. So I love the fact that you targeted LinkedIn and you know what your customers are able to, uh, you know, how savvy they are and what their mindset is. You know, it's always tough to do that. The more you understand your customer, the more you're able to close deals and, and expand your market. So that's great. If you look at it like this, I mean, COVID has impacted negatively to a lot of businesses. It has also helped a lot of businesses thrive because of the fact that they're actually adopting digital. How has the COVID pandemic impacted Offstreet? So I think I alluded to that a little bit. Initially, it was a bit scary because no one was going downtown. No one was using vehicles to park anywhere. But then like being from, so like we're based in Regina. Well, Matt's in Vancouver, but the rest of the team is in, in Regina. We have like two customers in the province. 99% of revenue is not there. So we're very much trying to get into these markets that we're not in 
which is traditionally pretty hard. But because everyone has learned how to use Zoom, has figured out you know, how to talk to each other across borders, even people within the same city are now just doing Zoom calls because in some cases it's more efficient. That just made things way easier in terms of like pitching was because we didn't have to fly Matt anywhere. We could just you know, do a Zoom call. So that definitely helped us out. It did, a lot of businesses did suffer. And so our client list did change a little bit. We had some locations that just dropped off completely. So we had a bit of churn, especially in the early days. But now that we've figured out this institutional market, that is much more stable because they're not as susceptible to market changes, like no one going downtown. It's like the hospitals are always going to be used regardless. And universities and colleges now, they weren't being used very much, but now they're at like half capacity or whatnot. So it was a net positive for Off Street, the, the pandemic. I think we might have been a bit further ahead than we are today without it because we did get slowed down, but that also helped us kind of look inward and, and develop product more. So maybe the product would be worse, but we'd have more customers. It's tough to say, but I think that definitely net positive for our team. So where do you see as the biggest opportunities for Offstreet uh, in the near future? So right now we have, in my opinion, the best product in the market for handling validations. So what a validation is, is you're basically given the right to park on behalf of somebody else. So think of like, if you've ever been to a hotel and they pay for you, because you're a guest and you're paying for a room, you get free parking. That's a, that's a validation. The hotel has validated your parking and they will be paying for it. So they might own the lot, they might be leasing it, or they might just be paying out of pocket for those cars. We are thinking about now going now into more of the traditional payment space. So going and competing with the likes of like pay by phone, where you are using an app to pay for parking. With Off Street, we only do right now free parking for the driver. So like the, the paid part comes behind the scenes between the operator or the property management group and whoever is using the facility. So the future, so we think we've owning this market. So we don't, we don't own all of it, but we have the best product for this market. And we're thinking, okay, this is going well. Our customers have told us, hey, Off Street, we love your product for validations. We also use all these other software tools for other things. It would be nice if we didn't have to. It'd be nice if he could just do it all in off street. So that's the stuff we're hearing from our customers. So the future probably looks like us developing the more of a, a driver focused experience as opposed to like the facility focused experience that opens up a lot of opportunity with payments and transactional revenue, but also makes us a big target because right now it's easy to play in their current market because it's not as big as the parking payments market. But once we try and start fighting for that one. Things are going to get rough, I think. So we're not sure, but we're probably going to do it. But that's tough to say. Great. So what advice do you have for startups that are, obviously you've been pushing this idea for the past five years and it's been going well. You've seen some really good success recently, but it takes a lot to actually take an idea from concept to completion and ultimately to succession. So what is your advice for startups that are actually in that phase that they have an idea that they want to work on and they basically want to want to make it make it a reality? I would go to um, the teachings of the Church of Y Combinator or is, is like Y Combinator, the number one accelerator in the world. They've got great content. So I would recommend anyone just 
go there and read and watch everything they have. But specifically from that is what we've learned is about how to build a product. And it's very important to let your ego, like you might think you know what you need to build, but it's so important that you listen to the customer and not necessarily the buyer. So there's like, sometimes the customer isn't the buyer. The buyer is like maybe the manager of the company. The customer, the user is the one who's actually going to tell you what the problem you're trying to solve for. And so it's very important to talk to those users as much as possible and get all the feedback you can. But you're not supposed to build what they tell you. So the customer owns the problem. You as a startup own the solution to the problem. So your job is to interpret all that information that they've said and use your abilities to come up with a product that solves those problems, but not building, like it goes back to like the Henry Ford type of thing, right? Like, why would I want a car? Like, I just want a faster horse. They're just more reliable, right? But they saw the future of the automobile and it was like, that's the future, but you wanted the faster horse, but I'll give you a faster horse. But maybe that takes some time to get there, but this is what you want. So that's probably my, my biggest piece of advice is like, is owning the solution, but you let them own the problem that you're trying to solve. And then just like, yeah, this sucks and things are going to be awful and hard. You just got to deal with it because <laughs> everything will not go your way. You got to react to it. You just have to take the punches and then come out strong. So as a Saskatchewan startup, what do you love about doing business in Saskatchewan? Yeah. So we don't do much business like sales business in Saskatchewan, but I love the startup business environment that we have because it is new. We've had a few successful tech companies come out of the prairies, especially Saskatchewan, right? We've had, you know, the big one, like Skip the Dishes, Gas Buddy, some big acquisitions going on there, like sure, Skip Winnipeg, but they're, you know, from PA, built in a little bit in Regina, a little bit in Saskatoon. We've got now more established startups, Seven Shifts, Vendasta, Coconut Software, Ikeometrics. Now we've got this new wave of startup where like those titans, as we refer them to, figured this all out with no support. They didn't have government support here. They didn't have anyone who came before them that could tell them what to do. But now through incubators like Cultivator in Regina and Collabs in Saskatoon, of which we're both a part of, now we have the support networks. We have other founders that we are with all the time. We have favorable government policy that allows us to do things like raise money easily because of the Saskatchewan Technology Startup Incentive, which gives a 50% tax rebate to accredited investors who invest in early stage tech companies. We have access to government programs like the federal IRAP program that essentially allows us to hire technical talent easy because as a startup, it's very hard to do, especially when these developers could easily get a job in the US making six figures. It allows us to they subsidize the wages. So I just love that when we're early in Saskatchewan's tech journey, and I love that it's just like being supported, right? Like we know we're good at oil and gas, we're good at agriculture, and the government's like, hey, we're also going to be good at tech and we're going to do some cool stuff here. And we're going to support the entrepreneurs doing that. So I just like love the ecosystem. I love the environment. I love that more than I actually love building the company, right? Like this panic was kind of hard for me because it was like, I was just, we were just doing our own thing, you know, in isolation. But like back before that, before that happened, we had all these people doing the same thing. Well, not the same thing, but 
building companies together, sharing our problems, sharing our, our wins and our, uh, you know, our losses. And that to me is really special, kind of like my favorite part. And I'm glad that we have that here. And it's so small. Like if I were to build this company in Vancouver, we wouldn't get FaceTime with billionaires. Like there are billionaires from Saskatchewan. We can get in front of Murad Al-Khatib, Michelle Zatlin, who's the COO of Cloudflare, like from PA. And because we're from Saskatchewan and because it's so small, it's like, yeah, they'll take our meeting. It's like, why not? You're from Regina. Like, oh yeah, you have a family in Regina. Sure, I'll take a call. So we just have these opportunities because we're, you could be a bigger fish in this small sea, but it's a very cool sea. That's awesome. On more of a personal note, Kyle, if you were to go back 10 years, what advice would you give to your younger self? I, I always think, I kind of do these like thought experiments and think of like, if you did things differently, you might not be in the same position you are today because all of those things that happened led up to where you are now. If you did something that you thought in the past, like, oh, it would have been nicer if I didn't make that mistake or I tried something else, that might have taken you on a different journey. But probably as a comfort thing, I would have like, if I were to go back and be like, yo, Kyle, I would probably say, trust your ability and your confidence a little more because like as a, it's very difficult to leave the comfort of a high paying job to make nothing for years. And I think I maybe would have pushed myself a little earlier, but when I look back at like our journey, like when we started off street within a month of us, like doing this thing, collab started like, well, it didn't start. It was like this meeting of like, Hey, pitch party at innovation place. It wasn't collabs. It was just like, Hey, a couple tech companies are getting together and pitching. And like, it just happened at the right time. So if we started off street before that, we might've just failed earlier. And then we wouldn't have had that amazing ecosystem. So it's tough to say, but I'd say just, you, you can have, be more confident in everything. That's awesome. So based on your experience and the challenges that you've overcome, if there was one key takeaway that you could give to our listeners today. I'd say that like, if you're looking to do anything, you should try. Because so many things in, in my life, and especially with our company, we didn't know. We challenged our assumptions by trying things. Like, like I talked about that, that marketing, outbound marketing play that worked out. Like you don't know if you'll like something without trying it. So just do it, right? Like be like, you know, that kid from Transformers that yells, do it in front of the camera. Just try it because you don't know until it's happening. And, and it's okay to like, hey, I did this and it sucked and I don't want to do it again. That is awesome. Right. That's what you want. You don't want to be like, you know what? I don't think I would try like running my own startup or running my own company. How do you know that? Just do it. Let's do it. Kyle, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you today and learn about Offstreet and uh, your journey so far. Where can people find out more about yourself and Offstreet and contact you online? You can visit our website, joinoffstreet.com. If you are running a parking facility, we want to talk to you. Hey, you might find some value in learning more about us. You can find me probably on Twitter, twitter.com slash K-Y-L-E-S-M-Y-T-H, my full name. Thanks, Kyle, for, for joining in today and sharing your story. We wish you the best and best of luck in Off Street and keep in touch. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode useful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can see more information and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at saskentrepreneurs.com. That's S-A-S-K entrepreneurs.com. This episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At TwoWeb, we make it simple. 
Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and nonprofit organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at 2web.ca.